Mr. McCullough, 30 seconds. So first of all, this shows how clueless Glenn Youngkin is. He doesn't understand what the laws were because he's never been involved here. And I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. Welcome to the New Hampshire Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham, Managing Editor of NHJournal.com. Thank you so much for listening and for sharing this with your friends who are political junkies and are interested in what's up in the Granite State and, of course, the first in the nation primary. This podcast brought to you by my friend, Dr. Bruce Houghton at PerfectSmiles.com in Nashua. More about Perfect Smiles coming up in a few moments, along with my conversation with one of the most fascinating people in New Hampshire politics right now, Ryan Terrell. His story, you know, having your educational system destroyed by Hurricane Katrina and ending up as a uh, member of the New Hampshire Board of Education and now the new vice chairman of the Republican Party. I'll put it this way. When I think of Republican politics, I think of a 6'3 African-American guy with dreadlocks. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's he, really interesting, and his story is interesting, and he talks about uh, the poll that we're about to talk about in just a second, as well as uh, what he thinks is the path forward for the GOP, all here on the NH Journal podcast. Uh, so the poll, yeah. I, I, I used to run campaigns in my misspent youth, and I, you know when you do media and you cover politics, you see a lot of polls. I've been struggling to recall a poll about a current event that has this sort of lopsided numbers. You know, when you ask about like say term limits or you know getting rid of the IRS or something, you'll get big numbers, but it's it's not a matter of ongoing debate. You know, it's it's more aspirational. The issue of what should happen with uh in the fight between parents and school administrators and teachers over, you know, control of the classroom, of curriculum, of behavior, that's <laughs> that that is as fresh a political fight as you know Russia invading Ukraine. It's now. I mean, why is there a Republican governor of Virginia? It is this issue. And so we polled it, and the questions were very straightforward. I just want to run through some of the numbers. If you haven't seen these, remember nhjournal.com. You can just go there. The articles there. The full poll is there. The methodology. It's, it's the sample was more than a thousand. The margin of error was like three percent. Polling is broken, so I don't trust polling at all to get me a specific number. But when the when the margins are this big, it, it lets you know who's winning and who's losing. So here's starting off with, there's a national discussion going on about how much influence parents should have on what happens in their children's schools. Who do you believe should have the final say when it comes to deciding what is taught in to, to minor children in K-12 classrooms? Parents or school administrators and teachers? Parents? 59% teachers, 32% among unaffiliated voters, because obviously Republicans, Democrats break down pretty big, 60% unaffiliated voters. Here's the interesting news for Megan Tuttle at the New Hampshire uh, NEA. That's the best number. That 32% losing two to one is the best school administrators and teachers do in this poll. That's their best number. Who should have the final say in a broad, generic area? When you go to health questions, healthcare treatment, health behavior, counseling, all those things that are going on is, you know, we have this obsession with discussing what to do about kids and LGBT and et cetera. Uh, who should have the final say on the uh, health of minor children or healthcare provided to them in K-12 schools? Parents, 
8080. Teachers and administrators, 14%. Among unaffiliated voters, the number is 85%. But among Democrats, this is Granite State Democrats, it's 63%. Uh, do you believe parents have the right to know about and review the curriculum their kids are using? Once again, the fight going on right now, you can't take these books out of the library. You can't decide... If books that are you know, openly sexual and about sexuality are in the fourth grade library or in the fourth grade curriculum, you can't say, parents, this is a red-hot debate right now. Well, actually, it's not a debate. 82% of the state says, yes, parents have a right to know about it. Only 13% say no. Once again, among unaffiliated, it's 82%. Among Democrats, 76%. And then the one that I find most uh, fascinating, and this is the question that I specifically asked the pollsters to ask. I, the other ones I just say, hey, look, just do a poll to answer the question, how do Granite Staters feel about parental rights? But this one, some public schools in New Hampshire have a policy of keeping students' behavior regarding sex and gender at school secret from their parents. It's obviously a reference to a story we broke uh, last year about the Manchester public school system and a mom who was found out that her child was, you know, biologically one sex, living at home as one sex, and going to school and uh, living or whatever as another sex. And the teachers were told, I can't tell you this. It was a issue in the congressional race. Congressman Chris Pappas supported the right of the administrators and the teachers to keep the secret from the parents. Ray Buckley said that if parents were allowed to find out about it, some of them would beat their own children to death which pretty clearly answers the question of who do you trust more, the schools or the parents? Uh, well, it's not close when you ask the voters about this. Do parents have a right to know what their children are doing when it comes to this behavior regarding sex and gender? 78% yes, 13% no. What is that, a 6 to 1, 5 to 1 margin? Once again, among independents, 81% among uh, Democrats, 61%. This is a three to one issue, 61 to 20% among Democrats. Notice I haven't given you any of the Republican numbers. Ignore the fact that, you know, the state is basically 30% Republican, 30% Democrat, 40% independent. That whole 30% is, you know, almost 100% on this stuff. So if you're a state legislator, and you're going to vote no to the parental bill of rights. You may have a lot of great arguments and there may be a lot of you know, things that people need to ponder, etc. But you just need to know that almost every aspect of it is a not just a huge lopsided preference by the voters, but in your own party. Two to one, three to one margins of your own Democratic uh, fellow Grand Staters. Uh, say parents should have the final say on these issues. And then, you know, because NH Journal is a product for political junkies, the real question that matters, are you more or less likely to vote for a local official or school board member who has committed to protecting parental rights? More likely 67%, less likely just 19%, 14% say no difference. So for the people who care, it's a yet another four to one-ish margin, three to one margin. And uh, even Democrats, a plurality, 44% say, I'm with the person who's supporting parental rights. Only 33% say I'm less likely to vote for them. So 
This is a powerful issue, and when we talk to uh, Ryan Terrell, who has an interesting set of hats, he's on the State Board of Education, and he's the vice president, or excuse me, vice chair of the NHGOP, that's going to be interesting coming up. And one more thing I want to mention to you, because it has been the number one topic of conversation uh, for people that NH Journal has been reaching out to about what's going on in Granite State politics, and the question is this, who's running these campaigns? Nikki Haley, uh, the governor of my home state of South Carolina, uh, who I've interviewed many times, is going to be here. She's uh, going to announce in Charleston on Wednesday. Then she's coming up here Thursday and Friday. She'll be in Exeter Thursday, NHIOP on Friday. And we and other people, in fact, uh, Dave Drucker, David Drucker at the Dispatch has written this up. They've been looking for people. So who's working our campaign? Who's the consultant? Who's the strategist? Who's the grassroots? Who's, who's on the ground? Answer, Nobody. Same thing for the Trump campaign. We obviously a former party state party chairman Steve Stepanek is there, but if you're looking for the people who do the work, you know, organize events and gather the lists and you know on the ground campaign, you know, do campaigning locally, can't find anybody. Uh, Rick De, uh, uh, De, uh, Ron, excuse me, Rick DeSantis. <laughs> Ron DeSantis, his brother Rick's a great guy. I don't want to dismiss him. Uh, Ron DeSantis, obviously he's not in the race yet and he's not going to do anything, but there are all these stories about he's reaching out for staffing up. Staff? You seen any staff? E- email us, news at insidesources.com. News at insidesources.com. If you have any information about staff, because we've been asking all of the, the, the insiders, the smart people, the people who know much more than I do, we can't find anybody. It, you can argue, and it's a legit argument, hey, the... Uh, primary is a little less than a year away. But the counter argument is, holy crap, the primary is a little less than a year away. You got people doing events in the state. They have no staff. I mean, they have national staff. They have their team staff, but no no on the ground staff. So it's going to be interesting. And uh, my prediction is that um, these presidential candidates, if, for example, my uh, former insurance agent, uh, Tim Scott runs for president uh, from South Carolina and assuming that uh, some of the other folks who are talking about it, like Larry Hogan, Asa Hutchinson, you know, whoever the the people, uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, who was on the last podcast, definitely going to announce he's having an event. He's not using staff to get a crowd at the event. He's using free beer. Free beer is a great way to get a crowd, but free beer can't collect names and build your email lists and do the stuff you normally do. I predict they're going to have the one of the major problems we have is finding people. Because in New Hampshire, there's a two prong problem. Ask the folks who ran for U.S. Senate last year uh, on the Republican side. You had you know multiple candidates in the primaries. Ask them how many paid staff were you able to find? Because I was talking to the campaigns and they were begging me, "Who do you know? Who do you know?" I'm going, "Guy, I've been looking for a reporter for NH Journal for a year." So I don't know anybody and they don't know anybody, cannot find people. And, you know, I was, uh, you know, I involved in politics in my twenties. And so there are a bunch of us who were like, you know, let's just do it. And you'd sleep on sofas and you'd travel around the country. You just wanted to be in the game. It was so exciting just to be part of a, of a campaign, particularly a presidential campaign. But right now the feedback loop I'm getting is no, those people don't exist. The college kids don't want to do it. They, you know, that's not interested they or, or they want like full-time you know professional salaries for entry-level work and whatever. so you're gonna have that problem that you're gonna run into nobody wants to work and there aren't very many 
young people interested in doing this. Then you have the other problem, which is the number of people in New Hampshire who are in that professional consulting, strategizing space has also shrunk. So it's going to be fascinating to see who's running the campaigns on the ground and is there a different model that kind of mixes having one central national you know, team using social media and other new tech, and then maybe you get volunteers to do stuff and, you know, and you kind of skip that layer of the campaign. I, I don't know. All I know is it's going to be fascinating and we're going to be watching it every day at nhjournal.com in part. Thanks to those of you who subscribe to our newsletter. Yeah, I know it's free, but some of you, you know, get the idea that, you know, you get, you all got to chip in to keep the lights on. And so you subscribe for four ninety nine a month. If you are willing to do that, thank you so much. Uh, you'll see boxes in the newsletter, or you can just go to nhjournal.com and see a button that says, Hey, help us out here with your donations. People give to NHPR for crying out loud. They got a gazillion dollars. Come on, kick a few bucks over here. <laughs> Let me make sure the lights stay on. We're also able to keep an eye on the first initiative primary, et cetera. Thanks to Dr. Bruce Houghton at perfectsmiles.com. He has been taking care of my smile for years. You know, uh, when I was doing radio media stuff, I did a lot of TV stuff and my smile was an issue. And thank God I found Dr. Bruce Houghton and I got, you know, a great smile that I didn't have to think about when I was on TV. So I could think about making dumb jokes and embarrassing myself, which is much more important. And he was terrific. I hate the dentist. I'm one of those people that just the concept of the dentist, I you know, get, ah, I just say, hey, thinking about it, ah, he's Dr. Bruce is so good, so smooth, so calming, has the latest technology, has all sorts of strategies if you want them so that you can get through whether it's uh, cleaning or whether it's uh, you know, having a new smile. Dr. Bruce will make it just as good as it gets. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my smile. I go to Nashua, Dr. Bruce, Dr. Bruce Houghton at perfectsmiles.com. Please, if you have, if you're looking for a dentist or if you're ready to make a change or maybe you moved and you're not sure where to go, check out Dr. Bruce. You'll be so glad you did. And please tell him that Michael Graham sent you from New Hampshire Journal. It's a delight to welcome back to the New Hampshire Journal podcast, but his first time as the new vice chairman of the New Hampshire GOP, Ryan Terrell. Ryan, welcome back. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me back again. Looking forward to the conversation. And uh, just to confirm, you are still a member of the Board of Education uh, for the state. Is that right? Yes, I am. Currently serving for District 5. And um, it's really been a great time. Education seems to be at the center of a lot of conversations. So um, really looking forward to this conversation to kind of see what I've been seeing at that level. So you voluntarily show up to sit in the same room as Drew Klein on a regular basis. That is amazing <laughs> to me. Amazing. Drew Klein, Drew Klein's a great guy. And um, <laughs> yeah, sometimes there are some meetings where it's like, what are we doing here? But you know what? The work is important. And mm. um, that's what really matters. Because I mean, children's lives, families' lives, everything right. is really going through that education system. So it's, it's great. Uh, and for those who don't know, Drew Klein is the chairman of the Board of Education. He also hosts a, a radio show on WFEA in uh, Manchester. So, Ryan Terrell, let's start with the big picture. You've been uh, vice chairman of the party for a couple of weeks now. Uh, how do you like the gig? So far, I've actually been getting increasingly exciting as I keep on doing the work because I'm seeing that there's so much opportunity within the NHGOP. I mean, you hear, obviously, we've just had a rough two election seasons, and really historically at the federal level longer than that, with some upsetting candidate results and not being able to reach those federal seats. 
and holding on to a slim majority in, in the state house. But really when I look at our organization and I see what we've been leaving on the table, I'm really excited to work with people within the NHGOP across all these different town and city committees um, to really start firing on all cylinders. So I'm actually really excited. As you said, I'm only about two and a half weeks in, so there's certainly a lot to still uncover. But I'm excited to roll out a new NHGOP that Granite Staters can be proud of. And would you say you've been uh, welcomed into the leadership spot? I mean, let's face it, uh, you are not a veteran of New Hampshire Republican politics, right? You're, first of all, you're like 12 years old. I mean, come on, you're a kid. And then you haven't been doing party stuff that long. Do we, have you been welcomed in? I really have. Every meeting I've gone to, every individual Republican I've spoken to has welcomed me with open arms. And I think it's because they recognize that we've just not really been hitting the ground running and having a strategy that works for us to start getting some victories under our belt. People are tired of losing. I'm certainly tired of losing. I'm a competitive person. And even though I'm younger, even though I don't have some of the deep relationships and history within the party, I think that the general consensus is that people want results. And I'm really blessed and grateful that they believe that I can help lead them to some of those results. So um, I'm overly optimistic about our opportunities, and I'm looking forward to 2024 and beyond. And why should Republicans just mentioned, you know, the the really poor performance in uh, 2000 in 2022 based on history? Normally, you know, you've got a first midterm of a first term of a of a president. His party just gets, as uh, Barack Obama said, shellacked. And instead, uh, his party came out relatively unscathed. The Republicans barely picked up the House in D.C. The Republicans almost lost the House, you know, basically one vote in Concord. Why should Republicans in New Hampshire be feeling optimism? Well, it, everything you said is true. And I don't think that any Republican can honestly tell you that they were happy with any of the results that happened nationwide or even statewide. We held on to some majority a slim one, but as you mentioned, it, it really wasn't the red wave as expected. And in fact, we took some critical losses in areas that we thought were short seats. Okay, let me let me interrupt you right me. there. Let me interrupt you right there because you know I'm a jerk and I interrupt I, I'm a jerk and I interrupt people. So let me do that. Uh I'm being told that Republicans who say that 2022 was a loss or that there was a candidate quality issue that caused a loss, et cetera, are getting pushback from the party's base who say, hey, we won the House in D.C. We still have the House in, you know, Concord. You, you squishes are just making it seem like it's worse than it was. Are you getting any pushback when you tell people 2022 was not a good year? No, not among the circles I've been speaking to. So I can empathize and understand where some of the criticism can say, hey, we didn't do that bad. And I agree, we didn't do that bad. I think where the sense of the loss comes is when we consider how much we thought we were going to gain during that race. And so when you consider how much ground we thought we were going to gain versus how much we actually just winded up retaining and in some cases losing, I think the broad consensus is that 2022 was not a good election cycle for right. Republicans at large, even though we were able to, to keep majorities and even gain the majority in the House. So I haven't heard that feedback myself, but as I said, I can see what someone with that perspective can certainly draw that conclusion. So why should Republicans as a whole, I, I interrupted you were answering the most important question, why be optimistic about 2024 and beyond as a New Hampshire Republican? Well, I think for me personally, it's, it's always face, not sight. So even though the numbers were certainly not in our favor in this election, even though we didn't break through with a federal candidate, we were able to hold on to a slim House majority. 
And as a person who is now getting a look under the hood of what this organization has been doing, we've done it and been underfunded. We have been out fundraised. We've been out mechanized at the polls. We've been out volunteered. We barely have a paid candidate staff right. at, our, at our HQ. And so we really are the underdog in all of these races, just from an infrastructure and an in a overall institution standpoint against the Democrats. So the fact that we were able to retain majorities and we have been able to put forward candidates, even though they didn't win, for me, gives us a lot of optimism that once we get all of our ducks in the row, there's no reason why we can't come full force and start to gain back some ground that we lost. So in other words, with basically not much of a team, not much of a funding, <laughs> not much going, they still managed to fight down to a tie or, you know, uh, in 2020 even win. And therefore, if you can get the team up and trained and in uniforms, you think they've got a chance to make some real progress. That's my feeling. You know, I think that most people love a genuine underdog story. The Patriots weren't always six-time champions, and certainly we have taken our losses. But I think what I'm seeing from the inside, working with people who have been on the ground, who have been involved with the party for a long time, there is an air, there's a taste among the party for new strategies and an acknowledgement that we have a lot of work to do. So simply what I'm saying is I can't promise the results, but there is a lot of optimism and hope as I start to work with all the people going all the way down from young Republicans starting at 18 all the way up to some more senior Republicans who have been involved at the party for a long time. So I'm just really excited to roll out a brand new, fresh, excited, invigorated Republican Party to at least compete with some more resources. Uh, so you're in an interesting spot because you deal with uh, education as a uh, member of the Board of Education, and then now you're with the Republican Party. And for a long time, education was viewed as a loser issue. Republicans talked about, you know, taxes and the economy and crime and Democrats talked about, you know, education spending and teachers and kids. And, you know, the, it became a cliche during the Clinton era of for the children. But uh, my understanding is Ryan, you think that Republicans have a real opportunity to make the education issue, particularly as it involves parents and education, a winner for the GOP. Is that right? I absolutely do. Republicans have an opportunity to acknowledge the importance of the call for parental rights in education and also continue to push for expanding school choice. Those two issues alone have not only seen increased popularity in Granite State, but have also seen it nationwide. And Republicans, conservatives, have also just had the great ideas to be able to create a robust public education system um, that provides school choice for all students. So those two issues, the parental choice, having parents be able to come to the table, pairing with their teachers, pairing with their districts and creating curriculum that fits the students best, while also increasing the number of pathways and options for students, that's a winning combination that Republicans have been pushing for for a long time. So the Glenn Youngkin model kind of springs to mind when you think about parents, how much you know influence they have in their schools, how angry they are by how the schools behave uh, you know, during the particular during COVID. Have you as you talk to uh, people who both come before the Board of Education and then parents out in the community and people who worry about education, have you seen this shift on the ground in New Hampshire? Are you are you feeling it like parents are going, hey, wait a minute. I'm definitely not anti-schools. I don't wake up every day angry at teachers unions, but whoa, something's wrong here and somebody needs to fix it. 
That's exactly what it is. Granted, staters are overall extremely reasonable and just want the best results and best options for their children. And also it's important, the point that you brought up, this is not an attack against public school teachers. This is not an attack against students, teacher unions or parent uh, teacher unions. This is really just making sure that the children, the most important stakeholder of it all, has the best options that fit all of their different learning styles and anything that's gonna work for them to succeed after they graduate. And so parents are just having an opportunity first starting during the COVID-19 pandemic lockdowns of seeing the types of lessons and seeing the education that their children were getting, and then just starting to ask questions when it either confused them, the subject matter didn't match with what they perceived to be an adequate education, or some of the topics to them were politically charged. And so having that conversation publicly and holding teachers, uh, teachers accountable to what's right. being taught and also having that conversation is just increasingly important. So a new uh, poll from a New Hampshire Journal and our partners at Coefficient just dropped, and we asked uh, a huge cross-section of Granite Staters that in this national discussion about the influence parents should have uh, in their children's schools, who do you believe should have the final say when it comes to deciding what is taught to minor children in K-12 through classrooms? 59% said parents. Only 32% said teachers. That's an almost two to one margin. And what jumped out at me, uh, Ryan, is that 81% of Republicans, but 60% of non-affiliated voters said parents over teachers as well. And I thought that was really interesting when it comes to the health issues, decisions about the health of minor children or the health care provided to them at K through 12 schools, it was 80% parents and just 14% teachers with a majority of Republicans, Democrats, and unaffiliated voters, a majority of all three saying they're with the parents. And then the one that I think uh, is particularly resonant in uh, the Granite State because it involves a local uh, school, the Manchester school system that has a policy of keeping students' behavior regarding sex and gender at school secret from their parents. When asked, do parents have a right to know what their children are doing? 78% said yes, just 13% said no. And once again, Republicans, 91%, Democrats, 61%, and non-affiliated, 81%. So just huge, you know, uh, majorities across the board. What does this tell you about where the politics are of, you know, uh, right sizing the influence of parents versus the school administrators, you know, insiders, et cetera? What this tells me is what reasonable people have known all along is that parents who get involved with their children's education help them succeed. And that's what all of those numbers are telling me is that parents are now coming to the table and saying, that they want to actively play a role in what's being taught. They want to support local school districts to make sure that their students are learning the material. And they don't want administrators or teachers to be making the decisions about their children that ultimately is their responsibility as their parents or caregivers. So what this is showing me is that parents are no longer willing to adopt what the traditional school system as an institution has given them as rules. They're looking to play an active role in what helps to help their children be successful in school. And it really is a topic that across the board, as you mentioned, can be bipartisan way for us to continue to create 
one of the greatest school systems in the country. New Hampshire has a top ranking school system. And right. this type of insight helps us to create a path forward that both Republicans and Democrats can hopefully build a, a continuing strengthening system. You know, one of the th- arguments that I have heard again and again as this conversation goes on about what should the school administration allow parents to know versus what parents want to know, and whether it was the CRT training that was going on in the Manchester that they first denied, then they admitted, then they claimed they had stopped doing, or whether it's the situation with uh, telling parents, we are not going to tell you if your uh, child comes to school adopts a different gender, asks to be called a different name, asks to be treated as a different sex, asks to use a bathroom that doesn't match a biological sex. We're not going to tell you any of that. The phrase I hear all the time is no school official will ever love your children as much as you do. That seems like a pretty powerful argument to me. Yeah, I, I don't know who in their reasonable mind would actually give that argument. And what's happening in Manchester school districts specifically about the issues that you've just named are, are really, um, they're really troubling because what they're doing is they're jamming a wedge between students' trust, parents' trust, and then also the bond between um, kids and their families. And so to actually withhold information that important to a child's development and identity from parents it just creates that deepening mistrust between institutions and families that doesn't need to be there. And a lot of this stuff is politically charged. It goes back to op-eds that I've written about how school districts choose to appropriate their funds that they get. The more that we see this type of DEI training and training that is really very far left of center, it's really troubling how it's affecting children and more importantly, how it's deepening the divide. I don't think it's productive. It's actually counterproductive. And I would hope that as we have more parental rights conversations, parents start to talk up and, and start to push back on some of that stuff. And it's there's, completely inappropriate. But there was a parental rights bill last year that did not get through the legislature in part because uh, Governor Sununu uh, was, said he was going to veto it. Uh, now there's a new bill. Uh, uh, Speaker of the House, Sharon Packard, is the lead sponsor on it. So that's pretty pretty hefty when you got the Speaker of the House on board. Uh, do you think there's going to be progress on this issue? Is that what you're hearing? I certainly hope so. I know that there's support among the NHGOP elected officials for parental rights. I know that it's a huge focus of the Education Committee. And so I really hope that some legislation that both Democrats and Republicans, as you read these numbers, the general population is ready for this, and so I'm hoping that lawmakers can respond in a bipartisan way so that we can continue to build an infrastructure for education that helps students and gets parents and families involved and takes away everything that just removes barriers right. from education. So I really hope that we can work forward to that, and I'm looking forward to see what legislation moves forward. And uh, one other item from this new poll that might uh, might uh, have some... <laughs> impact on the conversation. Are you more or less likely to vote for a local official or school board member who has committed to protecting parental rights? More likely 67%, and that includes 70% of unaffiliated voters and a plurality, 44 to 33% of Democrats. So it looks like, based on this uh, poll, that that's that's where the uh, political conversation is. I want to wrap up, uh, Ryan, by asking you to tell your personal story about 
education and education choice and what it's meant to you, because like me, you grew up down South and uh, it's hard to dispute the fact that Southern States public school systems have not been the most stellar in the country (laughs) based on uh, uh, test scores. I know I went to an absolutely hideous public school and begged to get out of it. But as the uh, superintendent told my mother, if we let Michael leave, why would anyone else stay? Which he had a (laughs) point. So uh, would you mind, Ryan Trail, telling everyone your education story? Of course. I appreciate you asking. So I was born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. Growing up, um, I'm the only child. My mom made sure that she always brought me to the best educational option that she had. Now, what that meant in Louisiana meant charter schools. Louisiana has a high amount of charter schools, particularly in New Orleans. So all the way into my preschool education, I went to a school that focused on developing skills around STEM and math. When I went into middle school and elementary school into middle school, I also went to Ben Franklin Elementary School that had another focus on math and STEM skills. In high school, I went to a charter school on the West Bank that was focused on STEM again. And so all along the way, I was involved in summer school programs. There was never a summer that I was sitting down, not doing anything. And my family at large really played a huge part in creating a lifelong learning friendly environment for me. I was given books. When I was growing up, my grandmother would only buy me stuff that came out of a bookstore like Barnes and Nobles or Borders. And so I was really blessed to be surrounded by a family that valued education and made sure that I was always constantly learning something, whether it was in school or out of school. And they played an active role in doing my homework with me, picking me up, dropping me off. After Hurricane Katrina, I moved around. I was 14 years old in eighth grade. I went to a couple of different schools, the best ones that I possibly could. We were very transient at the time. We lived in and out of hotels. We survived off of MREs the first couple of years. We weren't given any government assistance at all. And so we kind of moved in my close family unit. It was about 11 of us living often in one to two bedroom hotels or short-term apartments. But all along the way, the thing that I had with me was my school uniform that I had packed when we first left uh, New Orleans for Hurricane Katrina. My mom said that she didn't care how long we were gone, but I was going to go to somebody's school. So my whole background, the whole reason why I served with so much passion on the State Board of Education is because I personally know that education is not only one of the best engines for human prosperity, but it literally saved my life. The time that I spent in school, the community that I built, the teachers along the way, Everything that I experienced in my young childhood allowed me to be the man that I am today. And so the reason why we fight so hard, the reason why we push for school choice, the reason why we advocate for pathways for student learning is because I am the byproduct of all of that, even in Louisiana, that has the worst per pupil spending, that has terrible overall testing scores. My mother and my family made sure that I had access to the best educational opportunities available. And that's what I am doing on the state board. And I'm certainly encouraging everybody within the party to do statewide and push for that type of legislation. Ryan Trail is the vice chairman of the New Hampshire Republican Party. He also serves on the state board of education. Thanks so much for joining us here on the New Hampshire Journal podcast. We appreciate it. Appreciate the conversation. Thank you very much, Michael. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the New Hampshire Journal podcast. Please find us on Twitter, New Hamp Journal, on Facebook, NH Journal, and of course at nhjournal.com where you can sign up for our daily newsletter. I'm Michael Graham with Inside Sources. Thanks again for listening.